Thank you for joining us for another Whitehead Moncton podcast. Today we're going to be talking about family law and um, what options are available to you if you think your relationship is in difficulty. Uh, my name's Graham Jones. I'm one of the senior directors in the family team. And with me is Nihar Iqbal, who is the trainee in our family team. So we're sort of at the opposite ends of the evolutionary scale on this, I think it's fair to see. I've been doing it for far too long. And Neha, you're just starting. Yep, so I'm the newbie in the seat. Well, a lot will be learnt in your time here. And uh, hopefully it's something you have a passion for going forward. I mean, I've now been doing this for longer than I care to remember, some 29, 30 years. And it, it, it's changed a lot. The law's changed a lot in that time. But what I don't think has changed is what the reason the law is needed, and that's the question of relationships. And I think something we don't do very often is actually think about our relationships. I, I've decided over the years um, that relationships are hard work. I hope my wife's not listening to this. Uh, but it's true because when a couple meet and get married, you're in the, the first flights of love, or even if you don't get married, if you're living together, you, you're, you're loving each other's company. But over the years, there's going to be challenges, whether they are generated through work problems, whether they're generated by having children, whether they're generated by illness. And that will put a strain on the relationship. And some relationships as a result of that will break down. And I often wonder how much time couples do take to think about trying to save a relationship or are relationships these days considered more disposable? So where do you go with that? Well, I suppose the first thing to say is, do you look for assistance rather than looking to end the relationship? You've got things such as marriage guidance, which is, which is called Relate now. There's family therapists. There are counsellors. And all of those can help couples together or individually try to deal with and work through problems with their relationship. Um, I think that has changed over the years because when I first started, there wasn't much talk about getting back together if a marriage was over, a marriage was over. But very much now, the way the law is, there is and should be encouragement for couples to try and sort out their difficulties without resorting to the formal ending of the relationship. But the relationships do end, whether they are um, living together or whether they are married or whether they're in a civil partnership. And then you have to look at the options that are available to deal with it. Yep, and so from what I know so far, there's a few options available. I think couples can either do it themselves and try and sort it out between themselves, or they can go to mediation. There is collaborative practice, arbitration, and then negotiating with lawyers. Would you be able to give a brief explanation of each of those options? Please? Yes, and importantly, and I think correctly, you haven't mentioned the last one, which is going to court. And you do not want to go to court unless all else has failed. It, 
Relationships can end, and they can end in different circumstances. Some couples just decide that they still are friends, but they don't want to be married anymore. And in those circumstances, they can be adult and sensible in the way they bring the relationship to a close. At the other extreme, you have a situation whereby there might be severe domestic violence, there might be other problems, and a couple can quite passionately hate each other. And they are always the really challenging ones. From that point of view, something that I've come to see over the years is that the hate and dislike former partners can show to each other can be so potent, you find yourself thinking, well, how did that happen? Because you must have loved each other at one stage because you've been together for a period of time. What, what's made it change? And that's where I think those couples need a lot of help and, a lot, and sometimes therapeutic help to, get, to let them get through this. And you, you identified the, sort of the six options. And the first one you mentioned, DIY, that's really for the couple that are still communicating reasonably well or very well and they've just decided they want to separate. In those circumstances, there is nothing wrong with them talking about what they want to do, how they want to divide up their assets, what the arrangements are for the children. And then they can record that into an agreement, come to see a solicitor. Now, I'm often asked, can one solicitor act for both parties? I'm afraid the answer to that is no. And when you explain it, it's really quite clear why. It's a conflict. Now, if you are giving advice, you can only give advice to one party because the advice the other party might need to won't be the same. So a solicitor can only give information and therefore you cannot give advice to two parties. Now, we have a system whereby if a couple are in agreement, they can come and see us and tell us what they want to do and we can give, the, give them information about how they can deal with it, so about the divorce process and about getting in a financial agreement within the divorce process, getting a parenting plan for their children. But then if they want our input in helping to draft documentation, we always have to say to them, we will have to act for just one of you and then we will write to the other party. Um, I think that's right and I don't think that can ever change because parties should have a right to have independent legal advice if they want it. So yeah, the first one is talk among yourselves, get family members involved. If you've, if you've got a, a family member that can work with you as a referee or a mediator, which is interesting because we'll talk about mediation in a minute, um, that can be a way to help reach an agreement. And providing what you've thought is the right way forward is not legally impossible, it can then be taken forward into whatever orders or actions necessary. Right, okay, thank you. And then, as you said before, so mediation, um, what does that entail? Can you explain the process? Yes, I mean, I can explain it from a position of knowledge. I, I qualified as a mediator in 1993, and over the last 30 years, mediation has become much more mainstream. Now, I always say to clients that mediation is a bit like ACAS and trade unions. Um, the mediator is ACAS and the trade unions are, are the parties. What a mediator does is facilitate those parties' negotiations. So you will arrange a meeting 
these days, a lot of these meetings are done online, uh, on Zoom or something similar. I always feel that a face-to-face -face meeting in a room together is better because you are talking about human emotions and it's much easier to read body language and take into account people's reactions if you're in the same room rather than looking at a screen. And I also think there's, you're investing more if you're coming to a meeting rather than sitting in your kitchen with a cup of coffee. But the way mediation works is that the parties will set out to the mediator what their situation is. Now, if it's a child-based mediation, they'll be talking about what their arrangements are, what they would like to happen, what their concerns are. If it's a financial mediation, there will be discussion and full financial disclosure. So what I mean by that is a statement will have to be put in by both parties saying what their financial position is with documentation in support. That's discussed with the mediator and then an agreed picture of the asset base is built up. Once that picture is clear, the um, parties will discuss with the mediator their options. So it's option exploring and the mediator will explore any possibility to try and reach an agreement. And the idea is that that's gradually synthesized down until I call it an acceptable compromise is reached because when parties go into mediation, they set out their stalls and one party say, this is where I am and this is what I want. And the other party will say, this is where I am and this is what I want. And the purpose of the mediation is with the assistance of a mediator, you move your positions until you reach an acceptable compromise. Now, the thing about mediation that's important to bear in mind is mediation is confidential, normal dictionary definition, it's not discussed outside of the mediation by the mediator, but more importantly it's legally privileged. Now what that means is anything you discuss in mediation cannot subsequently be used in court against you if the mediation broke down. The exception to that is financial disclosure, that would be available to the court and if there was any safeguarding issues relating to children. But what can't go beyond the walls of the mediation is options that were looked at. And that therefore gives people a level playing field to feel free to explore options that they might not otherwise like, but in, in the spirit of trying to move forward, everything will be discussed. Now, the idea of mediation is that you reach an agreement which you can then take back to your solicitor and your solicitor can then help you draw that up into whatever orders or agreements are necessary. It's a good process. Um, whilst there's no compulsion to go into mediation, before you can issue a financial application or a children application in court, you have to attend what's called a mediation information and assessment meeting. That is where you meet with a mediator individually and the mediator tells you all about the mediation process, finds out a bit about your case and then says whether they think mediation would work for you. Now, if you both attend a MIAM, and you both say yes, you then go into mediation and you avoid the court process. Either of you are entitled to say no, and the mediator is also entitled to say, I don't think your case is suitable for mediation. In those circumstances, you're given a certificate, which you have to send to the court with your children or financial application, and the court are not meant to issue an application without seeing that certificate. So whilst it's not compulsory mediation, it's making sure couples are aware that mediation is available and have considered it before going to court. All right, okay, thank you. Just before we move on to the other solution options that are available, in your experience then as a qualified mediator, what are the success rates 
when going to mediation? Yeah, that, that is difficult because it, it depends how you're categorising success. Very few mediations completely fail. Um, it, it's way more than 60-70% are successful. But you, you reach what you call, you can reach what you call impasse situations where neither party is prepared to move ground. And that might then mean the mediation will stop. But that doesn't necessarily mean the mediations fail because it will have narrowed the issues. And so whilst mediation ideally wants it to reach a conclusion so everything is sorted, if you've helped narrow the issues, that, that can of course be a benefit to the clients. Thank you, yeah. And then the next option available was collaborative practice. Could you please explain that? Yes, that's um, collaborative law has grown out of mediation. It was, it's, it came through an organisation called Resolution, who are a, a, a family law group who promote non-confrontational ways of dealing with family law. And it's not just lawyers, it's general family practitioners. Now, the thing about mediation is you do not get advice in mediation. The mediator can only give you information. And therefore, if you want to take advice, you need to do that outside of the mediation process. Collaborative law is a hybrid of mediation in that you both instruct solicitors who are qualified collaborative practitioners. And you then sign what's called a participation agreement. And then the work on your case is dealt with in roundtable meetings in the same way you'd have a meeting with a mediator. The collaborative lawyers are there to act as your mediators to facilitate your negotiations and help your discussions take it further forward. But they can also advise you within in the meeting because they're there as your lawyers. So the idea is you will have a number of meetings and there will not be lots of correspondence and flying back and forward between meetings. There will be an agenda prepared for the meeting and you will discuss and take the case further forward and hopefully reach an agreement by the end of maybe the second, third meeting. And again, the solicitors would then put that into a legal format to be approved by the court. The issue with collaborative law is that it presupposes you will be successful in your collaboration. And what is, I suppose, some could say the sting in the tail, is if the collaboration breaks down and one party says, I am going to court, they cannot use the same solicitor to go to court. The solicitor that's dealt with the collaborative process has to step back and a new solicitor has to be appointed to take the matter to court. But again, collaborative law success rates are very high. And I, th I think, although there's not as many collabor collaborations going on as there are mediations, the success rate within the collaborative process is higher than that within mediation. That sounds like a really good option if your mediation process hasn't worked out. There's, I mean, the, the one criteria is, of course, cost. Um, with mediation, you pay by the meeting and you do that with collaboration, but of course you've got two solicitors in a collaborative process. By its very nature, we are not cheap, as I'm sure listeners may well know, and so the, the collaborative process can end up being more expensive. But how do you put a price on success? If, if you're looking to split an asset base 
of five, six, seven hundred thousand, maybe over a million, many, many million, investing a, a few thousand in, in achieving that clearly has to be sensible. And then for couples who are maybe not so suited to mediation and collaborative practice, how could arbitration help them? Arbitration is a way of keeping your case out of court. And the court system, unfortunately, is a bit of a mess. It's underfunded. The timescales in waiting for hearings are terrible. There can be months, sometimes years, wait to get hearings. You can have a hearing approach and then a week before, or in some cases, 24 hours before, be told terribly sorry, there's no judge available. And all the preparation work you've done will, will amount to nothing. So there is quite a movement that is recognised by the courts and encouraged by the courts to have effectively what you call a private court or an arbitration. There are um, a number of senior barristers and more junior barristers who are trained as arbitrators and there is a list of them. And what you can do is you can both agree and both parties have to agree to do this to refer their case to arbitration and you by agreement appoint an arbitrator who is effectively your private judge. Now, you can do that completely separately from issuing any court proceedings, or if you are in court proceedings, and I actually have a case where we've done this at the moment, the delay was so bad, we got a direction from the court to, to say we are going to do this as a private hearing, and then the court set a directions date further in the future just to check that's taken place. So you, you appoint your mediator, and sorry, mediator, your, your arbitrator, and your arbitrator acts as your judge, and you, you deal with it in the same way as any other court hearing. You don't have the arbitration take place in a court. If you're using a barrister, it's normally the barrister's chambers, but, but our offices here have facilities that can be used for arbitration. And you then deal with it in exactly the same way as you deal with a hearing. You prepare for it, the arbitrator can become involved and give directions as to what he or she wants done to bring it to a hearing. And then you have a hearing in front of the arbitrator in exactly the same way as you would in court. The arbitrator will make a decision, maybe not there and then, maybe delay for a few days and then give a, a written judgment, and you then have your arbitrated decision. There is force behind that because there's case law that says that arbitrated decision must then be turned into a court order. And if one party tries to get out and won't agree to it being made into a court order, an application can be made to the court. The court will almost certainly make that arbitrated decision into an order and will almost certainly hammer the party in costs who tried to stop that from happening. So the advantage of it is it's much quicker. You can, all you're looking for is the availability of your arbitrator and the availability of the representatives. And you have a sort of free reign as to when you do that. The other big advantage is you have your arbitrator appointed for the day and you have them for the day. Whereas in court, if you're lucky, you've got a couple of hours for interim hearings. And even if you have a final hearing that's listed for a day, there might be things that are put in in front of you. So you have much more control. Downside, judges are free. You don't pay for your judicial time or for your judge. You pay for your arbitrator. And that, can, that depends on seniority. Anything from 3,000 to 20 to 30,000, depending on the seniority and the expertise of the person you want. And from your experience then, why have clients chosen maybe negotiation between lawyers and then eventually call over arbitration at first? Arbitration you normally wouldn't go into straight away. And I, I think that comes from a lack of understanding 
on the part of clients about what arbitration is. Certainly when clients come in to see us, we talk to them about all these options that we're going through now. And they can then make an informed decision. One reason can be the being concerned about maybe having to spend £10,000 extra on your judge on top of what you're already paying your lawyers. Not everybody can afford that and there's, not, there's no public funding really available for family work anymore. So people sometimes think, well, no, I can't afford to do that. Mediation and collaborative law is something that should always be considered. And you can pull those in at any stage. And you've mentioned the lawyer negotiation point of view. And I mean, that's, that's usually included in all the others. So a client will come to see us and I'll talk to them about mediation. I will suggest to them a number of mediators. We'll approach the other side. The other side may say, yes, we agree. You select a mediator and off they go. Um, sometimes you will do the financial disclosure through solicitor negotiation. And then you'll start making offers, which is what happens on solicitor negotiation. And then you say, well, hang on, rather than letters going back in the horseshoe, so client to me, from me to the other side, from the other side to their client, and back like that, we'll say, well, let's get them into mediation because everything's being talked about in the same room. And so I've got, I've got a case where we're hoping that'll happen now. Both sides have exchanged um, offers, and we're now just waiting to see if there's not a settlement on the current offers, whether the couple will go into mediation to try and sort of close the gap, and that, that can save time. Um, so solicitor negotiation comes in, in anywhere because a solicitor can be involved when clients come in and say, this is what we want to do, we've agreed this. Or a client can come in and say, I'm in mediation, can you advise me on this? Or in the collaborative process, you've got the solicitor negotiation because the two solicitors are working together. I mean, the one thing we haven't talked about is court. And you don't want to talk about that. You really don't want to go to court. Um, I've already said about the delays. And it is a traumatic experience. Nobody likes turning up in court, having to stand in a, in a witness box and give evidence. You are effectively asking a third party to adjudicate upon your relationship. And really comes back to what I said at the beginning about relationships need to be worked on. And I think if, even if a couple are separated, they should be able to make the decisions about the ending of it. And this all comes down to the subjectivity and objectivity situation. It's very easy for the lawyer or the mediator to objectively see what should be happening here. But there are many emotional issues that individuals will have, which makes their view very, very subjective and makes the settlement situation much more difficult. But when you go to court, the court really aren't interested in who did what. What the court are interested in is what is the asset base? How do we divide that which produces a fair income, taking into account the children? And I, I do wish all my clients would be able to do that without the need of going to court. But we are all human, we are all fallible, and um, sometimes we cannot see the wood for the tree. Sorry to trot out all those cliches, but, it, but it's the case. You get so tied up in what to you is a massively important issue, but in the scheme of things and in how the courts are going to deal with it, it's not relevant. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And especially I think clients maybe not, might not consider how 
going to court can even affect the children that are involved. No, that's, that's very true. I mean, the ch children do suffer. I mean, parents should think about how they talk to the children, how they talk in front of the children. Um, I see so many court orders where there's a clause in there that says parents will not denigrate each other in front of the children. I mean, it, it must be awful for children to see mummy and daddy not talking to each other, fighting, being rude, getting upset. Um, and that doesn't happen in all cases. A lot of parents are very, 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 very sensible and they can agree um, the arrangements. And I think as a clothing point, it's worth saying that the court don't like getting involved on children issues at any level. Uh, in the new divorce proceedings, there's no mention of the children at all. The court do not make any orders relating to your children when you separate. The court say, you are the parents, you know your children best, therefore we leave it to you to reach that agreement. Um, I mentioned something called parenting plans earlier. There's an organisation called CAFCAS, and if you look on their website, there's a lot of information for couples on there, and they have a section with um, examples of drafting parenting plans. What a parenting plan is, is is your joint agreement as to how you're going to be bringing your children up. It can be as detailed or as brief as you like, but it's evidence of your intention. And if you did end up having to go to court over the children, the court would say, have you got a parenting plan? Why is this now not working? And they are then working towards what the court considered to be the best interest of the children. The welfare of the children is always the court's paramount consideration. Emotional subject, family law. Um, I've been practicing it exclusively now for longer than I care to remember, 27 years, I think. Um, we have a big team here. You've just joined at Neha, so you, yep. you've met us all. Um, we consider ourselves to be conciliatory family lawyers. We're all members of Resolution. We are happy to offer initial consultations to do a, a diagnostic assessment of your situation, which we can do at a reduced fee. Um, I, I was gonna say, we'd love to hear from you, but if I'm honest, we would love not to hear from anybody because we'd like relationships not to break down. But if you are looking for some support, we'd be more than happy to try and help you. I mean, you can contact us through our website, um, whiteheadmonkton.co.uk, or if you contact our switchboard, 01622 698 000, you can ask to speak to a member of the family team. If you're not bored with my voice already, you can contact me directly. I'm Graham Jones. My email address is Jones at wmlaw.uk. I hope you've um, found what we've been talking about interesting. Nihar, I hope you have a, a great time in your seat in family and learn a lot and want to practice it when you qualify. <laughs> Thank you very much. Just by the sound of this podcast, I know I'm in good hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're too kind. Flattery will get you everywhere.